So with that said, let's dive in today. We're in a brand new series called Handle with Care. Uh, it's kind of a mini series. Uh, if you're new to Catalyst, we teach in series. Uh, oftentimes series are two or four to six weeks. Uh, this one's just two weeks. And uh, so come back next week to, to, to get all of it. But we're talking about how we handle our, our money and our resource. And the reason is um, really two reasons. Uh, as I was kind of praying through this message series, uh, last fall, I believe it was October, NBC did a study. They found that 74% of Americans said they are stressed about their finances uh, for obvious reasons. Um, in fact, uh, out of married couples, 73% report finances being a source of, of tension primarily in their relationship. So as a culture, we are financially stressed. And, and I believe this, that financial peace will not come from a certain number in our bank accounts uh, or a certain salary number. It will come from following the ways of the Prince of Peace. Can I get an amen? So this series is going to be all about that. And, and here's, let me also share this. God's word has a lot to say about our money. Let me give you context. There are 2000, over 2,300 scriptures in the Old and New Testament about money and resources. Compare that to, uh, it is actually, there are four times more scriptures on money and finances than there are about faith and prayer, which both are important. Uh, Jesus taught more on money than he did heaven or hell. So money is a, you could say is a major theme of the scriptures. Uh, it's something God talks about a lot. In fact, 11 of the 39 parables Jesus shared were about money and resources. So as a pastor, uh, it would not be integrous of me to teach you the Bible, but not teach you on money. Now, I know some of you just got very uncomfortable and you're thinking to yourself, I shouldn't have came to church today. <laughs> Come on, this is why some pastors like me avoid it. Because we know people are like, oh, but uh, I want you to hear this. I'm not bringing this up because we're, we're doing a special offering today or our budget's tight. In fact, quite the opposite. We, we operate with a lot of margin, just so you know that. Um, in fact, we had a significant margin last year. And we do that intentionally in part because of your generosity and the way our team and board manage our finances, which I'm grateful for. Um, but, but I'm sharing this because in the same way I teach you on prayer and relationships, um, I... I need to teach on finances because the Bible has a lot to say. So again, it wouldn't be integrous of me as a pastor to avoid this topic, even if it can make us slightly uncomfortable. So is that okay? Just broke the ice in the room. So, uh, and um, let me say this too. One thing you'll never fear, you'll never hear or feel at Catalyst. And um, I, I think you should never feel is pressure. Um, God does not pressure us to give. Um, I don't think people should either. So you'll never feel that here in today's message. Don't feel any pressure. Now you might feel conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's different. But you're not gonna feel pressure for me or anybody uh, here at Catalyst ever. But I will unapologetically teach you the Bible uh, and what it says. And it has, again, a lot to say about this area of our life. Let me look forward. Next week, uh, we're gonna talk about specifically um, how we manage our money. It's gonna be very helpful, uh, very practical um, and how we manage the resources we have. But today is gonna be foundational. And I'm um, going to talk about, in fact, I've entitled today's message, uh, God is first. God is first. Uh, Matthew 6, Jesus in verse 21, 
uh, he said this, that wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. Um, here's what Christ says in Matthew 6, 21. He says that, that money is a spiritual issue. Uh, money is not about money. <laughs> it's about our heart, he says. In fact, a few verses later in verse 31, he's speaking to his disciples and to give context, the disciples were anxious over, over resource. And he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear or what's going to happen in the economy this election year or what's going to happen in our industry or will I have enough for retirement or when will this debt be paid off? He says, for the pagans or those who are far from God run after these things. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That Matthew 6.33 is often shared in various contexts. And the principle of God being first in your life is a general principle to apply to your life. But the context of this particular verse was in the context of our money. He says, listen, don't worry about, don't be anxious. I think Jesus would say, is saying the same thing to us today. He's saying, don't be anxious about, about, the, about the, your finances, but to seek first the kingdom of God. You know, when you build a house, there are many elements of a home. Uh, there's, there's the framing, there's the siding, there's the roof, there's the drywall. But the most important part of your house um, is the foundation. And they lay the foundation first. For if you have a faulty foundation, it's pretty costly. And for a house to, to be a solid house, to have, be a house of value, it must have a strong foundation. Today is a foundation message. Uh, it's the idea of putting God first in your finances. In fact, I want to say it this way, that I experience, the, the only way to experience lasting financial peace is when I put God first in my finances. And I want to talk to us today about what does it mean and what does it look like to put God first in our finances. But let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. As we open up your scripture today, God, we humble ourselves under it uh, to receive all that you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I got three points, three truths about this idea of God being first. And here's the first one I want us to take hold of is that God is my source. God is my source. Haggai 2.8, the Lord says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. He says this to a people group who are economically destitute, financially impoverished could be anxious about their provision. He reminds them that I am your provider and I will take care of you. You know, something about myself, you don't know this, but I really enjoy watching Christmas movies. Um, in fact, I'll watch a Christmas movie in March. Come on, anybody else with me? Come on. I mean, they're some of the best. In fact, here's how bad it is. I will watch a movie if it's about Christmas, even if it's terrible. Like if it has a Christmas tree and snow, I'll watch it. And then I'll get done and say, I just wasted two hours of my life. <laughs> a movie I watched as a child is called, and I've watched with my kids, it's called Jingle All the Way. Uh, it has Sinbad, anybody remember Sinbad? Uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, basically the premise of the, of the whole movie is they are, they are trying to find this toy for their sons that there's not many of. This is before the days of Amazon, right? So you couldn't order it. You had to like show up to a store and wait in line and get it. So they, they, um, there's someone scene in the movie, they're outside the store and they're waiting to get in. 
the owner comes out and says, we have like, I don't know what the number was, like 50 or 20 action figures or something. And everyone's kind of clamoring to get in, about 50 people. So they, they, they open the doors and the people rush in and it's chaotic. I mean, like people are falling over, climbing on each other, elbowing each other. It's just a complete chaotic scene. But it's chaotic, it's stressful because the, the supply is scarce. And what happens internally in all of us, whenever we believe that our supply or our provision is scarce, the product is stress. A scarcity mindset, when we believe I might not have enough, come on, it's hard to be at peace. So a scarcity mindset, when we think God, God may not provide for me, it produces stress on the inside of us. In fact, Jesus said it this way, Luke 12, 24. He said, consider the Ravens. By the way, Jesus is a Baltimore Ravens fan, just to be clear. He could have said, consider the Eagles or consider the Cardinals. He didn't. This is the holy canonized scriptures, people. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? In other words, he says, look at the birds. They're not flying stressed out. Like, where am I going to find seed now? <laughs> he says, if I provide for birds, how much more will I provide for those made in my image? And, and I, I know this can sound far easier. I know, I've been there. I, I've had financial stress. That's why it's important we remind ourselves of God's truth. Can I get an amen? amen. That God will provide for us. I was reminded a few weeks ago, um, my kids like these little, like pro kids protein bars called Z bars. And the other day, one of my, my children were eating a Z bar. And one of my other children said, dad, they're eating the last one. They're kind of frustrated. So I, I walked into the pantry and I pulled out a second box. I said, no, they're not. There's more than enough. And I saw the stress all of a sudden come down. They were frustrated, but they realized the peace came when they realized dad provided. And I want you to get this into your spirit today. Even if you get nothing else, God will provide for your needs. Now, please note this, put an asterisk on this one. I didn't say God will supply all your wants. You know what I found, especially in our Western culture? We can easily misperceive God not providing for my needs because God didn't give me what I want. He never told you he'd give you what you want. He did say he'll provide for your needs though. And he will. He will provide for your needs. He will take care of you. Listen, financial peace comes from trusting God as our source. Now, this does not mean you don't have a part to play. The Bible's very clear on working, the importance of work. The Bible's clear on stewarding your finances, the importance of stewardship. But we must acknowledge that he is our source. James said this way, every good and perfect gift comes from above. First Chronicles 29, 12 says, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In other words, that God gives us the ability to produce wealth. 
Maybe you're thinking, no, pastor, I earn my income. I would just humbly ask you, who gave you the mind to solve those problems for which you're paid for? Who gave you the hands for which you treat those patients for which you're paid for? Who gave you the vocal cords for which you use to teach those students for which you're paid for? Who gave you the strength to get up tomorrow morning and go to work? May I remind us all, God is our provider. He's the one. And because of that, we have to acknowledge that since he provides, I, it's ultimately his. So I am a steward, not an owner. This past Christmas, we were in Orlando with the family and we stayed at an Airbnb and probably have experienced this when we were at an Airbnb. They have house rules. Like, here are the rules to follow while you're here. Like, strip the sheets and make sure you wash the dishes, all those kind of things. Well, they had this house rule and it was, um, it was literally, not, it was framed. Like, in the living room, in, it was in the kitchen, it was in the dining room, on the fridge. And uh, the rule was no food on the couch. And it was like kind of screaming at you. Now, I presumed because it was near Disney World, with lots of children, maybe they had some bad experiences. But we arrived in late one evening and uh, we had picked up for our kids God's chicken, Chick-fil-A. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we had to keep telling our kids because they, they had their food and one of them turned TV on and they were like wanting to bring their food into the, on the couch. We we're like, no, no, no. No food on the couch. <laughs> Another one tried it. No, no, no. No food on the couch. And they're like, you know, why are you all so, you know, uptight about this? And we said, because that's the rule of the owner of the house. We remind our kids, we're renters. This isn't our house. It's not our money. It's his. We just steward it. So, so I don't just determine what I do with my money without consulting the owner because he's given us 2,300 scriptures with instruction on how we manage it, how we approach it. And a lot of those scriptures remind us that he is our source. We are culturally conditioned in our Western culture to believe that we are our own source. But the biblical truth that we need to grab hold of, you are a follower of Christ, is that God is my source. Point number two is this, if God is my source, then he should be first. He should be first. It's common throughout the scriptures where God reminds the people to put him first. There's a, there's a moment in Deuteronomy uh, chapter eight where essentially the Israelites, they had gone from, from you know, relying upon manna from heaven daily and they had nothing coming out of slavery to they began to experience some plenty and, and all of a sudden they began to kind of forget God. You ever notice that sometimes in your lowest seasons, you're most dependent on God. Be careful you do not allow the blessings of God to distract you from the one who's giving you the blessings in the first place. And he actually literally tells him, I think it's Deuteronomy 8.18. He says, remember the Lord your God who's given you the ability to produce this wealth, he says. In other words, make sure you keep me first. You had me first when you had nothing. 
keep me first now that you have, you have something. Let me get real practical. This means that God gets the first portion of my income because my mortgage lender is not my source. My landlord's not my source. Name your favorite streaming service is not your source. Even your grocery store is not your source. God is your source. For the boroughs, this is what we do. On our, we have a budgeting app we use. You know, we can adjust where, where they are. Our first line is God. We'll call it God. Because <laughs> he gets the first. There are three types of biblical giving I want to teach you today. And depending on where you are in your journey, um, I want to challenge you to take your next step. Every one of you. I felt challenged in my own study this week. I'm, I'm t- we're taking our next step as a family because I believe God has something more for all of us. So I want to give you three types of biblical giving and depending on where you are to give you a challenge to step into it. Here's the first type is what I call percentage-based giving or what Paul would call proportional giving. 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so when I come, no collections have to be made. So Paul says that to be intentional, to be systematic, to be planned in your generosity. So every time you're paid, them it's first of the week, first and 15th maybe for some of you. He says, plan it out in keeping with your income, proportional. He says, so I don't have to ever plead with you (laughs) to give. That's what he's saying. He says, I don't want to have to plead for you to give to support the church here in Corinth. So just give systematically, give planned out is what he's saying. And we're all used to proportional giving. You give a proportion of your income to your landlord or your mortgage lender every single month, right? In fact, they automatically deduct it from any of you. Come on, somebody. They're like, we're not going to leave this a chance. Give us your routing number. (laughs) Between the first and the fifth, right? Some of you give a proportion of your income, a small portion to your favorite streaming service or services. Some of you give too much of a proportion to Starbucks every month. Come on, somebody. We're used to this. Here's what Paul's saying is give a proportion to God first. First, that's what he's saying. Here's my challenge for you. For those of you in the room, maybe you've never given before. Or maybe you have, but it's been like sporadically. And I've been where you are. I have, and don't feel any condemnation or shame. My challenge to you, because I'm going to teach next the tithe which I believe biblically is, is, is the starting block. But going from 0% to 10% might feel like a leap that you're not ready to make. My challenge is to become consistent in giving a percentage of your income to God, wherever that is, 5%, 7%. Because I believe all giving, and we're gonna get to this at the very end, uh, that when we give to God, and note this, the heart of giving to God is one out of love. We don't give out of obligation. We don't give because we have to. Aren't you grateful we don't have to? We give because we get to. I love what Amy, Amy Carmichael says this. She says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So we give because we love God. That's why we give. It's not like, I mean, I have to. It's not religious. It's, it's because we get to. Now, for many of you in the room, you, you have given consistently. Many of you do. Here's my challenge for you is to become a tither, tithing. Tithing is a principle we both see in the Old and New Testament and one of the most uh, historic practices in the church. 
It says this in Malachi 3.10, a very popular scripture, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Just a note, this is the only area in all of the canonized scriptures God says, test me in. It's in your giving. I think he knew how hard it would be for us. He says, see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. I want you to hear this. He says, test me in blessing you. That's what he's saying. Let me give you historical context. The storehouse was a literal room in the temple back then. So it was an agrarian culture. So the temple where they worshiped, they would have a room called the storehouse, the storeroom. And people, it was an agrarian culture, so you brought your grain and your produce. That was your tithe. They didn't have currency. That was their currency. So the storehouse kept that food in that storehouse. Of course, as the as the communities progressed and currency became that, the storehouse, kind of that whole principle of bringing it to the temple transition. In fact, in Matthew 23 in the New Testament, there's three times in the gospels Jesus references the tithe. This is one of them. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe in the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So here Jesus, he kind of essentially calls them hypocrites because the Pharisees are obeying some parts of the scriptures, but not all of it. And we all have a tendency to do this, don't we? There are some parts of the scriptures that are easier for us to do and other parts that are harder. It would be like this saying this, well, hey God, because I give to you, I'm not going to forgive that person who hurt me. You'd be like, I don't think that's how this works, actually. (laughs) And know that Christ's heart is not, again, you have to. He's saying, man, there's actually more for you. You're missing out. I think, you know, and let me give you context. So you don't see a lot written about the tithe in the New Testament. And part of the reason why, because Jesus had disciples who grew up Jewish. And at that time, if you were in ancient Judaism, the average Jew were required by Mosaic law to give uh, three different tithes. One, two of the tithes happened every year, one tithe every third year. So on average, the average Jewish person coming to faith in the New Testament were already giving 23% of their income away. That's close to 10 times more than the average American currently gives. So they were already significantly giving amount of income. That's why in in the New Testament, the overwhelming message is generosity because they're already starting from a place of 23%. They didn't have to tell them to tithe because it was part of the Mosaic law. It was already in part of their, their, their way of doing things. So Jesus in this moment is saying to them, you know, yes, tithe, keep doing that, but don't neglect these things. If I, could, if I could speak just lovingly, but honestly, I think in America, we've almost flipped it. We're like, okay, with mercy, but don't touch my money, God. <laughs> Not that area. Can I tell you what I think Jesus would say today? Hey, yes, do mercy, but also be generous. It's not either or. It's not like I'm gonna do one and out the other. He's saying it's a both and. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, pastor, wasn't, well, tithe is Mosaic law. And I would say to that which you are, you are correct. 
but it's not just Mosaic law. In fact, the first reference of tithe is Genesis chapter four. And then again in Genesis 14, 28. Genesis 14, 28 was Abraham. It literally says he tithed to the priest Melchizedek. That was over 600 years prior to the Mosaic law being written. The Mosaic law was the Old Testament law in which uh, Jews were required to live uh, at that time. And then the tithe, if you fast forward, New Testament, uh, there are many councils that gathered um, after the scriptures in the early church to decide in terms of what we agree upon as the practices of the church. And overwhelmingly, you will see the tithe as a New Testament practice. Now, again, here's the biggest discerning difference between Malachi 3.10 and and that time period, the 23% a year they gave. And now we no longer have to bring a tithe. We get to bring the tithe. You see the difference? Let me give you, you don't have to pray, but we get to pray. You don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. You see the difference? It's, it's a spirit behind it. And that's why overwhelmingly you see in the scriptures, Jesus himself says more blessed to give than to receive. So he's not saying I've come to abolish the tithe. No, I, there's actually far more that God has for you. But again, I, I, I think this is a starting block for us. And for many of us, my challenge is for you to step into this practice of bringing the tithe of 10%. Maybe you're thinking, pastor, that's a lot of money. To which I would say, yes, it is. 10% is a lot. I agree. When I first came to Christ, that was the reason I didn't initially tithe, to be honest with you. Until I had a friend of mine tell me, remind me. They said, you know, Jeremy, that's the only area God says to test him in. And I would say that to you as well. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, man, I'm going to have to restructure some things in my finances. And you probably will the first time you step out. And I was reminded of when we moved into our current house, what we live in, um, we had gone from, from renting to, to purchasing a home and we kind of had an increase of kind of monthly mortgage compared to the rent we were paying. And uh, we ended up having to restructure our expenses and our finances because of it. Come on, we had to eat less of God's chicken. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Got to cook more at home. You've been there, haven't you? When you, you, you maybe you make some adjustments in your budget, you have to adjust some things, right? We restructure our lives around that which we love. Now, as your pastor, I will unapologetically tell you to, to restructure your life around God without apology. I think you should put God first in your schedule and prayer and Bible reading, not because you have to, but because you get to. And I think you should restructure your finances around God. I do. And I think if you do, you'll be more blessed if you do so. So I want to challenge you. Man, if that's you, you've given consistently, step out, trust God, and become someone who brings a tithe. The New Testament standard is not even a tithe, though. It's actually what I call above and beyond giving, extravagant generosity or sacrificial generosity, however you want to word it. It's 2 Corinthians 8 to the Macedonian church. Paul says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Watch this. Paul says, to give you context, this will actually blow some, it blew my mind the first time I read it. 
the Macedonian church gave to a church that were wealthier than them. We often think it always should be flipped, right? But I want you to catch this. The Macedonian church caught God's vision for generosity, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it reminds us generosity is not a condition, it's a calling. So we don't say, oh, well, when I get promoted, then I'll give. No, we give now. When, when I pay off these student loan debt, then I'll give. No, we, we give now. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The Macedonian church reminds us generosity is a calling upon the life of every believer. We are called to live open-handed. We are called to live generous. Here's my challenge for you. Again, wherever you are, I think our giving should always be giving done by faith. I think that's why when you see historically the tithe, it was always the first 10%, not the last 10%. Because it requires faith to give to God first. When we give him the, the leftover, it doesn't require faith. Can I tell you transparently, as your pastor, the Burroughs family, when we give to God first, right when that paycheck comes, it's auto, we do automatic. It's gone. It requires faith that we got enough for the rest. So our giving should be slightly uncomfortable because it requires faith. But can I tell you, again, as your pastor, I will unapologetically tell you the best life you can ever live is a life of faith in every area of your life. We live by faith, not by sight. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And that life is experienced in faith. So we give by faith. And can I tell you, test God. Don't take my word for it, take his word. Test him and see that he will not bless you. If you believe it, can you say amen? amen. So our cultural conditioning is that I should be first. Let me take care of me first. Then I'll, then I'll see what I got left over. But God's word says, God should be first. Here's the last and final point. So if God is my source and God is first, God blesses the rest. That's what happens. Here's what 2 Corinthians 9 says. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously reaps generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So again, in the New Testament, what you see is this above and beyond giving. You'll see more in the New Old Testament, tithing. You bring the tithes to your local church. And let me say this, if Catalyst is not your church, give to your church. But then Paul talks this, this above and beyond, open-handed living. He says, God will bless you on every occasion so you can be generous. That a New Testament is to be generous as much as you can. And he says, when you sow generously, you'll reap generously. When you give, you'll be blessed. Now listen, here's what Paul's not saying. He's not saying if you give to God, you'll get a new car. Come on, somebody. <laughs> if you ever heard that, it's not biblically accurate. He's not even saying if you give to God, you'll get more money. Now, God might bless you. I've experienced that before. I know people have experienced that. Some of you in the first service told me, 
after the message, they said, they said, this week, I gave this, and all of a sudden I got this surprise gift coming out of nowhere. Sometimes God can bless you in, in ways that we can't fully explain. I got stories. But here's the greater blessing. Do you know there are far greater blessings God wants to give you than a dollar amount? It's the peace of God. It's the joy of the Lord. Can I tell you what we need more than anything else is the peace of God living in the will of God. Living by faith. It's the abundant life. We are sold in our Western culture that that comes from a dollar amount, but that is a lie. Because what you'll find is there's no dollar amount that ever gives you that sense of peace that you want. Paul says that we're blessed and God desires to bless us. Let me say this, when we are blessed financially, which if you live in this Western world, you are blessed. Can I, can I speak a loving truth to all of us, including myself? You're actually probably more blessed than you realize. And you've been blessed by God to be a blessing. Now I'm preaching to the choir because you're a generous church, but I'm just reminding us today. The reason God blesses us is we can be a blessing. You know, I, I love what we get to do in the community because God's blessed our church. And I love that we get to be a blessing. Like, I, I believe this, that through my life, that, 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 that because I've been blessed by God, when God blesses me, that it should bless the world around me. I think the existence of Catalyst Church should make Montgomery County a more blessed county. If you believe it, can you say amen? I believe the D.C. area should be blessed because we're here. Like, we're not blessed just for us. Man, we're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. God's blessed you to be a blessing. First Timothy 6, 19, this is my final scripture. Paul is, is writing to Timothy. He's giving me instructions on how to teach the church. And he says this, he's, he's saying, he just said, hey, teach them to be generous and to do good works. Then he says, verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You know that word true life right there is the same word in the Greek when Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life. It's zoe. It means full life. So Paul says we experience the full life Jesus promised when we live a generous life. We live an open-handed life. And then he says we're storing up treasures for the future to come. Jesus said we store up treasures in heaven. He's speaking of eternal rewards. And God richly rewards our generosity to him on earth. You know, I, I don't think ever before in a message I've ever um, used the illustration with Chick-fil-A. And now I'm about to do it for the third time. <laughs> so, but I was... Uh, the only time we really, we really ever go to Chick-fil-A is on, on road trips with our kids because it's, it's easy and it's God's chicken. So, but we, uh, there, I found out a couple years ago, actually Pastor Andy Lloyd here, uh, who's a big avid Chick-fil-A fan. Uh, he, he, he introduced me to the Chick-fil-A app. I, I, it was several years back now, but I didn't realize there was an app. So now when we're traveling, I'll pull the app out and we can, you know, you can order ahead and all that stuff. Well, so when you, when you order through the app, you earn points. And the points give you rewards. 
what's awesome is like, so, you know, we'll, there'll be months between our travels. So when we like go to travel again, we'll pull the app up and then all of a sudden a reward little alert pops up. It's like, you have earned a free chicken sandwich. And I said, well, thank you, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> my favorite one, my favorite one is when it says, you've earned an ice cream cone. And I saw, well, the Lord has provided. I wasn't going to eat ice cream before noon, but since God provided it, you can't refuse a gift. So, but they give you rewards based on your faithfulness to give in a Chick-fil-A. And Paul says, God will reward you in heaven because we're going to stand before King Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. Not a scary judgment, it's a reward-based judgment. He says he will reward you based on your generosity on earth to his purposes and for his kingdom's sake. I want to close today by giving you three reasons why I give, and three biblical reasons why I believe we should give to God and give to his work. Number one is this. It's the most important one. It's just an act of worship. Uh, giving is about loving God. It's not because we have to. It's not because he rewards us. It's not because it's more blessed. We give because he is worthy. Can I get an amen? amen. Secondly, it supports the church. It supports the ministry of God's church on the earth. Now I knew in sharing today's message, some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, this is kind of self-serving, isn't it, Pastor? And I'm okay with you misjudging my intention. I really am. I love you that much, sincerely. Um, you don't have to give to this church, but I do care about your heart. Is that okay? And I do believe there is no greater investment I can make with my dollar and you can make with your dollar than making disciples of all nations, the mission of Jesus. And 12 people got baptized last week because you gave. People have already come to faith in Jesus today because you gave. Some kids and students right now are learning about how much God loves them, their identity in God because of your generosity. There are people who are living in transitional housing in Montgomery County who've been blessed with supplies they did not have because you gave. And I think there's no greater purpose we can give towards in the mission of Jesus. But then lastly, it blesses my life. There is a peace, there is a joy that comes from doing what God's asked us to do. It's one of those things that you just have to test God in, in every area of your life, including this one. And I believe you'll experience it. Uh, like I have, like so many of you have. Again, this church, man, there's so many stories of how generous you are. And you have a reputation in this community for being so generous. So thank you. And uh, my, my simple challenge today is this, wherever you are in your journey, is to take a step. You know, because we are conditioned culturally to believe this, that we lose when we give. If I give, I lose, that's, that's money lost. That's a deficit. I think quite on the contrary. I'm actually blessed when I give. And I'm actually storing up treasures in heaven. So here's my challenge for you, is to put God first. Maybe for some of you, it's uh, stepping from maybe not giving or, or, or giving sporadically to giving consistently setting aside a percentage of your income, like Paul says. For many of you, you've been there. For you, it's becoming a tither. And I know it's a big step. 
But I believe if you do, you'll be blessed. Bring that whole tithe into the church. Then for, again, many of you, because you're, you're consistent, you're faithful tithers, is to step out into above and beyond giving. Experience what Paul talks about. That he will, he will supply seed for the sower so you can abound in every good work. That you will, as you sow generously, you will reap generously. Because we experience financial peace when we put God first in our finances. Let me pray for you today.